0: Two, X, Ray, Tid, Moo, Vs. Good job. <laughs> that went a lot better than I thought it would. <laughs> you think I got no rhythm over here? <laughs> you got rhythm. Over there is one half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. Hey.
1: Over there is the other half. That's Matt Fisher. Hello. And uh, we're two guys who used to date, and now we talk about movies. This is our 71st episode, Matt. God.
0: Whoo. The weird thing is, like, when I look back at the movies we've done and, like, the movies that I want to do, Mm -hmm. the movies I want to do still greatly outnumber the movies we've done. (laughs) I mean, really, I've only got to pick, like, 35 movies. Yeah. And I've seen (laughs) 10,000 (laughs) movies.
1: Meanwhile, I'm scrambling up my (laughs) list. I'm, like, calling a friend. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, what's going on? so i was hanging out with a friend the other day and he is a stylist and he goes i think i saw your co-host one day oh and i was like really he goes yeah he's a scrawny redhead right he's a, he cuts hair for a living he identifies people by hair Uh huh. Uh-huh. he goes i didn't actually cut his hair my co-worker did but i heard him when he was paying she goes what was the name of your podcast again <laughs> And he goes X-rated, and he goes. Oh, I know that podcast. So it just tickles me. You know that episode of The Simpsons when Mr. Burns is dirt poor, uh-huh. and he has to like do like normal people things, uh-huh. and he like gets on a bus, and he like leans over to that little girl, and he's like, "I'm on a bus." I feel like that's what you do with the podcast. <laughs> like you just walk around, and, like there'll be just be like some little girl walking with her dog, and you'll just like lean down, look her dead in the eye, and go. I've got a podcast. <laughs> Tender one of our cards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I also do that thing uh la Mr. Burns when he's super poor at the grocery store and I go ketchup. Ketchup. Ketchup.
0: Ketchup. ketchup. But yeah, I just I just thought it was funny like he he wasn't even talking to you. He just overheard you talking about the podcast. Ooh. I mean, I I try. I try to get it out there. Yeah. One stylist at a time. <laughs> Now I'm wondering who your friend is. Why? It
1: w- I want to know who's eavesdropping on my conversations.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, if I were to tell you his name, would that help? Mm, doubtful. Do you go into like a barbershop and like memorize the names of everyone in there? <laughs> names and faces. I demand the music is turned off. <laughs>
1: I demand everybody stop.
0: And I point, you, name, <laughs> you, name. Also one of the reasons why he remembered you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was so odd. He came in went over to our stereo and just stomped on the iPhone
1: (laughs) I know there's lots of Yelp reviews about it (laughs) every time I go in
0: you go to these barbershops stomp on their music devices and then leave a, a scathing Yelp review of that place their music sucked I couldn't get them to stop
1: Janice audibly gasped when I stepped on the phone and it made me upset
0: that you just put in your iPhone You're like, don't worry, I got this covered And put on Bobcats or something <laughs> I was thinking um,
1: Captain and Tennille, Love Will Keep <laughs> Us Together Which is a great song, I stand by that song Yeah You're you're sort of a disco apologist I mean That's a quality song You look at the structure of it It's
0: just really well made I mean, you like that song from Midnight Madness Yeah, s- sort of uh there are certain donna summer deep cuts that you'll defend oh yeah i'm looking for some hot stuff <laughs> there's some
1: abba disco that's like oh mm, yeah. yeah you know perfect, sure perfect songwriting vu le gonna- is my favorite abba song
0: oh yeah that's a great song it's so good i don't think this is a disco but whatever song it is that you think should end every lgbt movie <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: when did that song come out late 70s what? oh okay it was so like disco times yeah i, I for Because I think like the first time I heard it was probably like the first time I heard like, D-Light or something. So I thought that maybe they were oh, no.
1: peers. <laughs> no, no, no. Cheryl Lynn was actually in... I think I looked this up. I want to say she was originally supposed to be the lead in The Wiz. But that went to Diana Ross oh, when she passed on it. Oh, so, yeah. interesting. Okay. Or I could be conflating and she was just a chorus member in it. Don't remember, but... <laughs> She had something to do with The Wiz, but then she has her own stuff too.
0: She just peed on Sidney Lumet. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Was that a thing? Is that. Is, that, is, well, he, Sid- is he history's greatest
1: Europhile?
0: <laughs> oh, he directed The Wiz. Oh. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you, now that I've explained the joke, it's really funny, right?
1: <laughs> Let's really aim to get a toilet humor joke in that in the opening banter every episode this this season. I think we can do that. This will be the season of toilet humor.
0: Well, you know, we got the toilet in the living room to inspire us. And it looks like you put a nice you put a coat of paint on it. I don't even know how you
1: paint porcelain there. One stroke at a time. <laughs> See?
0: Is that a Home Depot stop or a Blick Art Materials stop? Well, as I uh as my world is essentially a six-block radius from where I live, mm-hmm. it's definitely a Blick okay. uh, stop. That's just right on Broadway. Home Depot, I'd have to, like, catch a bus downtown oh, or man. Uh, take the light rail down to Soto. Like, I'm sure that
1: there's some employee at Blick who's uh, experienced on in toilets. <laughs> painting porcelain.
0: <laughs> I, I go in, I'm like, you, you look like you've seen the business end of a toilet before. <laughs> Sir, sir, which of these paints would look best on my toilet? I need inside and out. (laughs) I plan on doing the inside of the basin as well. And I don't plan on draining it, so I need one that's waterproof.
1: (sighs) Uh, (laughs) I'm just picturing you with like a cape and a weird hat with a feather just being a very
0: eccentric customer. Monocle. Yeah. I come in with like spats and a cane. (laughs) Looking like Fred Astaire. Yeah. Excuse me. (laughs) Art store concierge, please direct me to your finest basin paints. (laughs) Where are your commode artistries? I don't want commode paper,
1: I've already done that. I've since scraped and primered my toilet. I would like to paint it now.
0: (laughs) Sandpapered it down right fine
1: I did. (laughs) What type of brush hair do you recommend
0: for painting a toilet? Horse
1: hair or synthetic? I must
0: say this horse hair brush is very scintillating. I don't care for the darker colors because I like to look at my stool before flushing it. (laughs)
1: So, that's a no on the brown.
0: (laughs) Well, Matt, what are we talking about today? Today, in phase one of my erotic thriller exploration... I've chosen the classic Paul Verhoeven, Basic Instinct. So right off the bat, we the, the opening credits, it, it's like various shapes. Yeah. And we can kind of see through some of them, but it's like fuzzy and blurry. Mm-hmm. I think Verhoeven's done that in some of his other movies. I want to say The Fourth Man started out in somewhat the same way. Okay, okay. Uh, it's like looking through a crystal wall. Yeah, sort of. But then once we're we're finally in focus Mm -hmm. it's titties it's two people having sex oh man just going at it and things are getting hot and heavy i mean they're having sex so it's already hot and heavy yeah but we seem to be uh headed towards something if you will (laughs) uh the inevitable when when the ice pick comes out yeah and the dude gets stabbed a whole bunch blood is everywhere and really in this one scene alone i'm sitting here watching i'm like yeah I picked the right movie for
1: this. <laughs> I was worried that I had got a, uh, uh, I had rented a cut that was not uh, the theatrical or director's cut. Oh, like and some sort of R rated cut or something? Yeah. And thankfully, I learned very quickly that I've got the real deal because he got stabbed in the eye yep. while I was watching it. It was
0: really brutal. Yeah. Like, it, it was, they did not hold my hand at all.
1: And I appreciate
0: that. Yeah cuz after doing after doing my hard art not that there wasn't, you know, say violence in in certain scenes or certain movies but it's kind of nice to just sort of uh watch something fun again and sex and violence on screen pretty fun. Yeah. And we're getting we're getting two full scoops here. Oh yeah. Like 10 stabs we get in that opening scene. Okay. I counted. I mean there's blood everywhere. And Verhoeven does this very well. But he hides the killer's face behind her blonde hair, mm-hmm. so you're never totally sure who it is, which is important for the rest of the movie. Indeed. But really, because the camera is focused on her face a couple times, but her hair is draped in front of it. Yeah. So all you really know is it, she's a you know pretty svelte blonde, mm-hmm. and then yeah, she kills this guy. It's pretty fun to watch. Like, there's if you're sort of a fan of like sex and violence on screen movie's kind of up your alley then yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. it lets you know what movie it's gonna be pretty quick yeah
0: Yeah. and yeah so no
1: sitting at home watching i'm like yeah i've only seen this movie twice the first time i saw it was maybe like 12 years ago and that's uh, probably
0: about the time first time i saw it too
1: yeah and i remember liking it i had some thoughts about it we'll get into it but um watching it this time around and i really enjoyed it it's it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a really polarizing movie. I've learned. I think people really like it or they really don't. And I definitely land in the I like it camp.
0: I can't imagine many people of say puritanical values <laughs> care for this movie very much. The movie's sort of fast and loose with sexual mores, mm-hmm. pretty violent at times, drug use, yeah, and even the drug use. It's it's Michael Douglas is punished for it from his like imp- Employers, but he's not really punished for it because it seems immoral like it's bad for a cop to be high on coke and drunk yeah but they don't really say that it is bad it's just it's bad for a cop to be on the job doing it mm-hmm. so there is sort of a freewheeling nature about this that not that it's holding cops let's say a higher standard i mean it is but it's not saying that it's uh, immoral but it's you know sort of acknowledging that like People do this and largely okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> do you want to do a quick plot synopsis of it? Because it's a real, I mean, it's a
0: pretty twisty plot. It's a pretty twisty plot. The broad strokes of it are this dude is killed. When the police come to investigate, they find out that he is dating this woman who is very rich, very beautiful, and she is an author of murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. And in her last book, it's a detailed account of, of killing a guy, a a retired rock star, which is the same as the actual murder victim, stabbed to death with an ice pick, which is how this guy died. It's a great neo-noir setup. It it really is, because as much as I hate this term when you say, like, deadly game of cat and mouse, (laughs) this kind of does feel like cat and mouse, except, like, both characters are cats. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But they're also both kind of mice, because Sharon Stone... Who, I just, I just want to say, I love in this movie. Me too. She's a revelation. She's so good. Like, she's part just like stone cold bitch, like ice queen type, uh-huh. but also just like foul temptress and like smoldering, like lust goddess. Oh, she's just amazing. Like she really plays both those, like the ice queen essentially, mm-hmm. but then comes back at you with just like unbridled sexuality. She's never out of control. She always feels like she's moving every
1: pawn on the board the entire time.
0: So I feel like when she wants to be a mouse, she is. And then when she wants to be a cat, she is. Mm -hmm. And Michael Douglas is, he's either or, but it's like, he's either or at her command, not at his choice. She's
1: in control the whole time.
0: Yeah, which is just a lot of fun. Uh, And the movie goes through... Twists and turns because he kind of calls it out, saying like maybe she wrote the book, knowing that she was going to kill him, and she could use this book as her alibi. Right. And that's exactly what she does. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Or does she? Well, I mean, she does, but it's like, what she might have been predicting that. Yeah. It's just, it's those sorts. Those sorts of questions aren't answered. We don't know what's going through her head. All we really know is that she's pretty cunning, she's pretty clever, and that you can't underestimate her. mm And really? I'm like, I'm a gay guy? Oof. It'd be hard to turn that down. She's
1: gorgeous. I mean, she was a model before, and a relative unknown. The only other movie I think I knew her in before this was Total Recall.
0: That was her mainstream claim to fame, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, uh... She just—I don't know—I feel like she kind of knocks it out of the park. And I looked up who was nominated for Best Actress that year. Which there's movie, no way that this movie could have gotten Academy Award nominations. It got two. What? I know it got nominated for Best Film Editing, which it's... I could see. Okay, sure. And uh, Best uh, Original Score, which—do do do—this is fun fact. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith uh-huh. is the composer. Do you know what else Jerry Goldsmith has composed? A
0: million things.
1: Yeah, but specifically, there's two things that I found very exciting. Number one is uh, he did the music for Star Trek, uh, the motion picture, Mm -hmm. which means he wrote the theme for TNG. Yeah. Uh, And then he also wrote uh, the music for a duo of movies, little horror comedies uh, called the Gremlins franchise. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So,
0: No, I mean, Jerry Goldsmith has been making soundtracks, I want to say, since... 50s
1: yeah I was was yeah
0: I was gonna say the mid 60s but I went
1: through a big Jerry Goldsmith hole um phrasing yeah he did tons of he did all the Rambo movies oh he did like um, the omen
0: oh okay which
1: he won an Academy Award for Hmm. so yeah I mean, that's just exciting. And I love the soundtrack to this movie. I think it's oh, really good. Oh, yeah.
0: He really is sort of channeling like the Bernard Herrmann, like the moody sort of Vertigo esque yeah. stuff going on. It's really good. Yeah. And like, it re-
1: it sets the tone in a way that's just right.
0: I want to ask this question just because I, I need to be, I need to know where you land on this issue. Okay. Uh, Michael Douglas, hit it or quit it? Quit it. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it either, and he's in a number of other like erotic thrillers. Yeah, he was in Jagged Edge, also a script by Joe Esterhaus, who wrote this movie. Oh yeah, disclosure, disclosure, Fatal Attraction, Fatal Attraction. Like these are like heavy hitters in like the erotic he thriller needs to be genre. This
1: irresistible man,
0: and I don't get it. but no,
1: in this movie, he's got like wrinkles around his eyes and stuff. He just looks gross lots of people passed on this movie i read like for the two main leads like Mm -hmm. lots of men were considered for it michael douglas was the only one who took it and lots of women were considered too and sharon stone was the only one who took it and it just seems like in retrospect if you could have you know fantasy cast this i would definitely go for somebody more alluring and handsome than michael douglas he just unless you're like the grandma in the nutty professor
0: mike douglas Oh, Mike Douglas! You know, Mike Douglas used to make me moist when I watched the show. I would get—I admit it—I would get moist when I watched the show. Only white man ever did that to me was Mike Douglas. I do have a friend who saw this, and I saw like her Letterbox review of it, and she gave it four stars. Okay, and then like you know, months, weeks later, whatever, she was kind of bad mouthing like Michael Douglas, being like, "Oh yeah, he's like so blah blah blah. I, I can't stand him." And I was like, uh, you gave basic instinct four stars. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, and it would have been five, but Michael <laughs> Douglas was in it.
1: Yeah. And he's, I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's almost like Hollywood is telling you that this leading man is sexy. Sure. Whereas like a woman has to be held up to a certain standard of beauty. Whereas like a man just has to have some sort of charisma and can be gnarly faced as fuck and still be like, oh, he's still hot. <laughs> You know? It yeah. feels
0: that way a little bit. So, like, watching the sex scenes in here, like, if I had to do a sex scene with Michael Douglas, I wouldn't be bragging about it. <laughs> but, and, and, I mean, Hollywood starts say this all the time, like, that sex scenes are, like, the least sexy thing to do in real life. It's, like, you have 200 people watching you and lighting you and micing yeah. you and, like, cameras rolling and you have to, like, Probably takes ready. forever. <laughs> yeah, and, like, they have to wear, like, genital wraps and <laughs> things like that. Yeah. But I was, like, hmm he got to suck on Sharon Stone's nipples. Mm-hmm. If I was a straight guy, that'd be a hard thing not to, like, put on my mantle. Yeah. Especially
1: like, Sharon Stone in this movie. Because... Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> like, she was just, like,
1: pert and perky. Oh her outfits everything she puts on seems effortless like not everyone can pull off that white turtleneck dress that she wears to the interview thing mm-hmm. but she looks like she's just throwing it on you mm-hmm. know I, well because we see her in the mirror we putting literally it on. Th- see her throw it on yeah but I mean and like everything she wears it just looks like she's just like oh this old thing you mm-hmm. know like and her hair is always just like oh let me just put it up in this little bun and it's like oh now you look flawless again <laughs>
0: What the fuck? Well, yeah, because they they go to the house to, like, you know, not arrest her, but to, like, bring her downtown for questioning. She's wearing, like, jogging shorts and, like, a T-shirt. And she's like, can I uh, slip into something more appropriate? And then she puts on that, like, white dress, which I would not say is necessarily appropriate for a police (laughs) interrogation. But, yeah, she throws it on, and it's like, oh,
1: God, she looks so good. Yeah. Just. Can we talk about how good that interrogation scene is, though? It's so good.
0: There's uh, no smoking in this building, Miss Trammell.
1: What are you going to do? Charge me with smoking? It's a shame, too, because it gets overshadowed by the peekaboo of her Mm hoo-ha. But it's like Mm -hmm. the actual rhythm and pacing of it and the way it's sort of composed is pretty cool. And she's doing some capital A acting in it, too, Mm -hmm. that I think is really good. It's very subtle, but She doesn't
0: blink, I notice. Like when they do close-ups of her face, like her eyes will dart and then her head will turn. But, yeah, she, she never actually blinks her eyes. And, you know, usually if you're trying to look at someone, like, you turn your head as you're turning your eyes. But, like, yeah. she'd look at them with her eyes first and then move her head, which I thought was, like, an interesting little acting choice there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But having just watched a movie in theaters recently where I felt the dialogue scenes, like, drag the movie down, mm-hmm. it was really interesting to watch this in the same day because most of this movie is just two people talking or you know a group of people talking and it's not necessarily the dialogue super snappy or anything like that but i'm drawn in and that interrogation scene is such a good example because i don't think on paper it looks too salacious
1: yeah because it shows her starting to realize that she can manipulate uh men nick yeah or Uh, or whatever Yeah. yeah but it's like Again, she's, she's totally in control, and she knows exactly what she's doing the whole the whole scene. And it's interesting to see men kind of wither when a woman who is in control of her sexuality just, like, you know, take over. Oh,
0: yeah. Like, they're powerless in the face of her. Like, she's uncrossing her legs, which we got to talk about separately. Uh, uh,
1: Dennis Nedry, who... Uh, or what, new, Wayne Knight. You may know him as Newman. Yeah, Wayne yeah. Knight. Uh, yeah, he has... You can tell he's in, he's the assistant DA in this movie. He's he's coming. He's all ready to like grill this woman, but then she suddenly, when he sees how comfortable she is and how sexy she looks, he has trouble asking her like, mm, "Have you ever uh, had a S- <laughs> sexual encounter where you tied someone up?" You know? Yeah. Like it's it's interesting to see that because I really don't feel like up until this point we'd had a Hollywood movie really allow a woman be that powerful in a situation like this you know I and there's th- like six men in there and she's the only woman
0: i, I was gonna say like you know uh, there's a lot of movies in like the 30s where like women are definitely like the ones wearing like the pants in a relationship or something like even like his girl friday they're, they're like fighting over pant legs in that movie yeah but this is really one where it's it's her sexuality that is flummoxing all the men in this universe and mm-hmm. Because this is, like, six police officers. You know, they've probably seen, like, their share or, or, like, interrogated their share of, like, prostitutes or things like that. But it's like Sharon Stone comes in and, like, not a hair out of place. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Carpets or drapes.
1: (laughs) Which we need to talk about um, the uh, muffin consistencies in this movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to talk about, so... Sharon Stone says now that she had no idea that there was going to be that crotch shot. Paul Verhoeven said that he consulted with her beforehand because in order to, like, get the lighting right, like, she needed to be in on it. Mm -hmm. And that she had a change of heart at the screening. And personally, I don't think either of them are the most reliable in this situation yeah Verhoeven strikes me as sort of a scoundrel but Sharon Stone also like I just heard like a long form interview with her on uh, Mark Maron's podcast and not that like she doesn't remember things well but I could also just see her seeing her muff on screen being like I don't want this to happen
1: yeah yeah having uh, second thoughts as soon as she actually saw
0: it yeah yeah for sure cause I mean this was a
1: wide release
0: movie <laughs> also like they get up close in there like it's a big shot like seeing your vijay on, on like, a big screen yeah yeah
1: i'll bet it was really
0: that scary. could be a little intimate you know when you see it on screen mm-hmm. but i just maybe it's just that i don't want to think that verhoeven went behind sharon stone's back and getting that shot but at the same time i'm like i kind of feel like she must have been in on it because it's lit kind of perfectly (laughs) like
1: yeah she has to know a little bit of how like how to spread exactly yeah and i mean why would she not wear underwear if it wasn't going to be seen yeah you know like if he's guaranteeing that it's like oh don't worry it's not going to actually be seen and it's like well, why can't i just wear my underwear then yeah you know Mm. i don't know
0: somebody's gonna see it then on the set i mean she's not she's not mad at paul at least not now like she says that they have a very good relationship now mm-hmm. but i'm like oh boy if i did not agree to that i don't know if i'd just like forgive and forget about it
1: yeah because it's everybody's seen it now
0: yeah <laughs> it, like i said before i think it's kind of sad that
1: it that that's what everyone remembers from that scene in a lot of ways because it is it's a part of it and it's a power play when she does it you know mm-hmm. like it, it actually serve. it isn't like it's gratuitous in I mean some people might consider gratuitous but it's like it is telling of her character
0: it's also like she's like knocking the men over like bowling pins in this scene like yeah they don't know what to do and it advances. like later she's when they're in the car
1: talking about it and he's like you seem to know an awful lot about me
0: You know an awful lot about me. I don't know anything that's not police business. You know I don't wear any underwear. Don't you, Nick?
1: (laughs) It's almost like she did that to prove that she can get into his head in ways that she's, like, playing several steps ahead already, you know? Like and of course you know that one wouldn't play out as well because then you know everyone else could be like i was there too i saw she was not wearing underwear so like that one's not like a strong move but it, it is telling that she can be like well you know i've got this on
0: you now yeah so i mean uh, so one thing to to note in the plot is that so she wrote a story about a retired rock star who gets murdered by being stabbed to death with an ice pick her next story is about a detective who who falls in love with the wrong woman. Mm -hmm. And when Nick goes over to her place, he sees newspaper clippings about him, you know, just carefully placed in plain sight. Yeah. She even says, she says,
1: I'm using you for my detective in my book. You don't
0: mind, do you? So uh, it's just, yeah, that interrogation scene really highlights how, it really highlights how Catherine can just bend men to her will with yeah. her sexuality
1: and apparently women too I mean that's another like aspect of this that we haven't talked about yet but she's bisexual yes and...
0: cause when Nick goes over to her house they see this other blonde woman there and they start asking her questions and she's like you're looking for Catherine not me who are you I'm Roxy I'm her friend and we don't know the exact relationship right off the bat, but later we find out the audience they are an item. It's kind of funny too because
1: she's like, there's this big long scene where she's sort of seducing and playing with uh, uh, Nick and letting him know that she knows information about him. And then right when you know the, the big dramatic ending of it happens, that's when Roxy shows up and she's like, "Hi, honey," and comes over and they like hug. And then he like storms out, and then they just go <laughs> and then start frenching.
0: <laughs> And it's long enough that you're like, okay, guys. <laughs> well, Paul Verhoeven's sort of a pervert. <laughs> but, you know, in his movies, there's also the uh, co-ed showers. There's a co-ed shower in RoboCop. Oh. There's a co-ed shower in Starship Troopers. Yep, yep. So, uh, you know, he likes his ladies, which is another, like, tick against him. Almost like in the whether the muff shot was by design or, or on the DL. Cause like, mm, he definitely likes his sexy games, <laughs> but you know, maybe he really does view it with like an egalitarian sense, like that, like men and women should be objectified equally. God knows in Starship Troopers, Casper Van Dien is plenty hot and oh, you yeah. see his butt in that.
1: Apparently that he wanted to do full frontal on Michael Douglas, but he refused. So
0: Michael Douglas refused Yeah. <laughs> or uh common sense refused. <laughs>
1: They tried it with test audiences, and it just went <laughs> <That's the moment. laughs> thumbs down. One thing I really enjoyed about it this time was the script kind of veers back and forth between. I can't really tell if it's an amazingly well written script or if it's kind of garbage too. You know, like it's a Joe Astro House script, so both. It's kind of yeah. There's moments where I'm like, wow, this is really good writing. Like I love the scene when she's in his apartment. And I think this is like maybe the third time they're hanging out. And she's like, Do
0: you have any Coke? I just love Coke with Jack Daniels. Got a Pepsi in the fridge.
1: Oh, it's not really the same thing now, is it? And I love that because it's like, is she talking about the drug? Is she talking about the the soda? And it's like... Because
0: Jack and Coke, that's definitely a drink.
1: That's a thing. Yeah, but he also has like a Coke habit. And she, you know...
0: That he had to kick. Yeah, Yeah. and
1: so I love... I just love all the ambiguity that's in a lot of line. There's a lot of scenes where, like, the dialogue is super loaded, especially whenever, like, Michael Douglas and uh, Sharon Stone are on screen together. Their dialogue is so loaded, and it's so fun because it's not – it's never what they're saying. It's always subtext. Oh, yeah. And it's it's really fun to watch, which makes me feel like, oh, this is an amazing script, but it's also, like – in the wrong hands, it could have gone south very fast. Well, in,
0: in Double Indemnity, perhaps one of the first true erotic thrillers, mm-hmm. where Barbara Stanwyck and Fred Murray are talking, and they're, they're just talking about, like, driving. It's like, you know, all those curves and no brakes sort of thing. And I guess one of them said, like, looked at the script and was like, this is just nonsense. Like, this doesn't make any logical sense. And Billy Wilder was like, no, no, no. Just say it. It'll make sense, like, when you're saying it. And then, like, when you watch it, it's like a hot, steamy scene. Yeah. But, like, yeah, on paper, the actors were complaining that they were just going to be, like, spouting garbledy goo. Yeah. And I can kind of see this being the same way. There's a line from Roseanne where Darlene, where her and her boyfriend David are going to see showgirls. Oh, man. And it's at Darlene's request. And David's like, oh, I don't want to do this again. (laughs) Like They've seen it several times at that point. He's like, it's written so badly. And she goes, yeah, every Joe Esterhaus script is just revenge on some girl that he dated in college. (laughs)
1: That
0: seems about accurate. Yeah. I was like, this is the duo. Like, Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaus is like, that's what brought us showgirls. I I was thinking about that because that's the
1: movie that came out after this, that these two did together. And it's almost like... This movie walks that line of being bad and good, you Mm -hmm. know, like good, bad. It really, like, walks it well. And I would say lands kind of on the side of a good movie. Yeah. And, like, if you're walking that line, it's a dangerous game. Because Showgirls, I think, tries to do that, too, and definitely lands in bad territory, um, with the exception of Gina Gershon, of course. Of course. But, um Somehow the, it works in this film, and I think it, like, it, maybe it needs that, like, neo-noir sort
0: of, like, hard-boiled cop story to work. Because with uh, Showgirls, Paul Verhoeven was like, I'm making, like, an MGM musical. Yeah. And that just might have pushed it in a totally wrong direction.
1: And between that movie and this movie, I am now convinced that Paul Verhoeven does not know what sexy dancing looks like.
0: <laughs> oh, that club scene. <laughs> and, like, Roxy's, like, punching, punching the air. The... What is that? Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? Because uh, Nomi in Showgirls, like, <laughs> that, that like, pan across the club as we're just watching her dance. Yeah. Like, oh, this is bad.
1: <laughs> What, what do you think the direction is for these actresses at this point? Like, Boy, I don't know. More! Jerkier! <laughs> harder! Thrust it! Thrust it! Come on,
0: thrust it! You're in Tybo class! <laughs> like, what is happening? There's 10,000 butts around you and you're fisting them all!
1: <laughs> God, I don't. He just doesn't know how to do that
0: no. very well. I definitely thought about that. I was like, oh, yeah. This is like showgirls dancing here. He also
1: has a thing with like during sex scenes having it be like very like touchy feely
0: stop and then like a sudden movement and people like oh oh that yeah because at the end there's that when it's like you're wondering if it's an ice pick or yeah but then also
1: when he's having sex with beth the um psychologist and they're like he's like making out with her he's got his hand on her face and then he just like rips her shirt off and she's just like oh you know, like shivers or something. Uh huh. And I, it, it, that, I mean, that's also in Showgirls a bunch too. But and it's just like, I don't know if that's erotic really.
0: So when they're driving Catherine to be interrogated mm-hmm. before the, the muff shot, and she's sort of talking about how being an author, or like a, at least an author in the genre that she writes in, teaches you how to lie. Yeah at one point like she does a light detector test and passes right but she starts talking about suspension of disbelief which is of course like what we what you use in movies all the time like suspension of disbelief like yeah. we watch jurassic park and we're excited not because this could actually happen but because we're suspending disbelief yeah. there is one part of this movie where i could not suspend my disbelief uh-huh. did you care to take a guess
1: <laughs> oh man i don't even know go
0: It's when Catherine and Nick came at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I've had some sex in my day. I have never had an orgasm that synced up with my partner in my life. (laughs) Like, she's, like, leaning back, and, like, part of it's scary because you, like, you think that she's, like, going for an ice pick. Yeah. But then it's, like come and then like she collapses on him and like he also came like in that moment where she was like leaning back and then smacked down (laughs) on top of him it's like they both finished at that point i'm like that's not how it happens
1: (laughs) can we talk about the repeated motif of her on top him and then leaning back as it's coming to climax and then when she climaxes it's it's like it's like like a bear trap yeah she just flies forward (laughs) arms up and that so the first time i saw it that was my main takeaway it was like she
0: comes weird <laughs> like is that the only way she can come it's like woo. <laughs> no i saw that and i was like at the same time doubtful <laughs> so uh i don't know like their their orgasms were perfectly synced and i'm just like but it was like the duration was synced too it's like not only did they come at the same time, but they had the same length of orgasm. Yeah. And I was like, Sigh. out of all the sex I have, I can't claim that my orgasms were like timed on like a stopwatch, like synchronized. Like that, that I just, I just took me right out of the movie. <laughs> I love that that's the like part of it where you're like, oh, I don't know about this. Like in real life, I just feel like Catherine would take a little bit more going like you know Nick would have to work for it a little bit or mm-hmm. or vice versa she'd come a couple times maybe mm-hmm. maybe you know if she's light to the touch then maybe like she could keep going but like this idea that like yeah they're they, they like ramped up towards climax in unison and that their orgasms lasted the the, the same length of time like pfft. did you really think it was so special I told her I thought it was the fuck of the century
1: Maybe you just haven't had the fuck of the century, so.
0: I'm pretty sure I've had it a couple times. (laughs) Wow, they just passed that around, huh?
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, so another thing I noticed this time around, which I thought was kind of cool, was that there's a lot of, like, flip scenes with, like, reversals of characters. So, for example, the interrogation thing we talked about, that happens later where Michael's in the hot seat, or not Michael. Nick is in the hot seat for that. Okay. I really hope his character's name is Nick. It's Nick. Okay, good. So it's like. I hope it's Joe Esterhaus
0: and not Joel Esterhaus. Uh, I don't know what it is. I think it's Joe, but I'm only like 80% certain on that. Well, he's probably dead at this point, right? We'll just edit out the Joe part and it's just, you know, Paul Verhoeven and Esterhaus. (laughs) Just give me a bunch of L's at the end and I'll just like (laughs) smoosh him in
1: but then also there's like a scene. So he gets into his apartment near the end and she's, or no, he's inside Beth's apartment at one point when she comes home and she's like, what are you doing here? You know, your lock was broken, Da da da. And then like the next scene or pretty close after that, he goes home and, uh, Catherine's waiting for him in his apartment. So there's just a lot of like those flip scenes that I thought was kind of interesting. There's a lot of, trading out of roles in similar shots, which uh, is, is a fun sort of way to play with gender and power, and also, you know, it sort of speaks to how Nick is sort of losing control, because he, he really starts to side with Catherine after a while, even though everyone's telling him, you know, you've got that magna cum laude pussy on the brain. That's her pussy talking, it ain't your brain. And actually, the first, when I was watching it, I was kind of thinking, like, Maybe Beth did do it. <laughs> I was starting to get convinced near the end there.
0: Yeah, it really—they really aim the movie in a certain direction, but they don't oversell it. That to the point where they can't veer it back.
1: Yeah, uh, it's
0: ambiguous because I—I I am almost still not entirely convinced that Beth didn't do it. Well, I mean, what do you think of, like, the finale with the ice pick under the bed? Maybe they just dropped the ice pick. <laughs> fifty nine at Kmart.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of, uh... Because cause then, you know, like, I'm talking about with ambiguous language and, like, loaded language. That scene after... She, like... Catherine essentially breaks up with Nick. She just keeps using language like...
0: I don't want to do this. I... <laughs> I lose everybody. I don't want to lose you.
1: Is she talking about how she always breaks up with people after having them be in her book? Or is she talking about how once she's done writing her book, she has to murder these people? Mm. Like, I don't know. It's kind of ambiguous, I felt.
0: We haven't talked about Beth yet, but Beth is sort of the the psychotherapist in internal affairs. At the police station. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but she also used to date Nick. Ostensibly, still kind of does. Mm-hmm. But it turns Which out there's a huge conflict of interest that everyone that. seems to know about. But it turns out she had like a single white female thing going on with Sharon Stone. Like in college, they went to college together. Yeah. But it's never clear who was obsessed with who. Right. So. She, Catherine, Sharon Stone's character, says that, like, yeah, she, like, we moved in together and she got a haircut just like mine, and started dressing just like me. But then Beth tells the story the other way. Yeah.
1: So. And they're both psychology majors at the college. So, like, they both know how to
0: manipulate people is, like, a thing in this movie. But go ahead. Well, I think when we see. 'Cause Nick goes back and looks at Beth's records. Yeah. And it's like she was blonde and then went brunette. Right. And so it kinda does contradict Catherine's story, but it it's like that we don't know exactly when Beth may have switched or if she switched at all. But it does kind of show that she is okay changing personas a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it throws a level of ambiguity in there that you don't know where these people stand again. Like you're already getting conflicting stories and then you're seeing sort of conflicting evidence.
1: Yeah. And you know, he just eventually lands on cause I, well, I guess cause he kills Beth, but he's going he's like, I guess I'm just going to stick with you, Catherine, because I love you. I don't know. It's, I, I feel like I still feel like the ending is ambiguous. Do you feel like it's it's obvious that it's that she was the killer and
0: she's going to try and make a go for it? Well, it's a little odd because the movie kind of fades out as if it's going to credits. Yeah. And then fades back in.
1: What's that about?
0: I couldn't really discern what it was really trying to say with that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, we get, and then we get this fade down to the ice pick and, you know, immediately I'm like, oh, she's a killer. Yeah. But the other part of me is like she's not going to kill him with an ice pick. (laughs)
1: Yeah. That's like, and everybody knows that they're together now. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I really don't know what to think. I guess the first time I watched, I was like, Oh, she's a killer. Duh. Ice pick. That's what it's saying. Absolutely. That, that's, that wraps
1: everything up in a nice tidy bow, but so does saying Beth is the killer.
0: Yeah. When watching it now, I'm, I'm not as convinced that that is enough. Like, it almost feels like the movie was supposed to end with just those two being in love, sort of. Yeah. And then at the very last second he threw that in just it's like the uh fucking totem in Inception or something. Like it's yeah there just to like give a level of ambiguity to the story. Sure. Which I kind of I'm I'm up for I'm up for too. <laughs> I don't hate it. Yeah. I have a note in here that says Officer with Roxy's record. I don't know why I put that oh, note down. Oh, that woman? Oh,
1: that's a character actress. Yeah. There's some... Gr- I mean, Stephen Tobolowski. Stephen Tobolowsky.
0: Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me, because I sure as heck fire remember you.
1: I think we're just going to have to start every season with a movie that has <laughs> Stephen Tobolowski in it. In a bit part. Yeah. Uh, Very serious in this role.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because he's also one of the uh, psychotherapists. Yeah. He's more like a,
1: a profiler, it seems like. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. And... By the way, real fast, because, like, that scene, they're in a conference room, and everybody has a copy of the book about the murdered uh, uh, rock star. A plus on the production design for the paperbacks in this movie. Yeah. They're so good and so of their time. Oh, you
0: mean of uh, Catherine's novels? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They
1: look great. They look like you could pick them up from the store. Like
0: the bodice ripper like, a Fred Meyer, like, uh, a circular shelf or whatever it is. Yeah, I noticed
1: on the, like... uh, the one, uh, the one about the rock star is called "Love Hurts," uh-huh. and then like in smaller print down in like the lower left-hand corner it says "Love Stings, Love Blah, Love Kills," <laughs> and it's like, yeah, hey, it's like the song, <laughs> and which is totally how those would be. And like you know, you open it and it's like there's a cutout on the main yeah. cover. it's like oh. it, that's
0: a heart, and then like when you open it up, there's like a murder scene. Yeah, oh, there's so that's
1: so '90s. It's just. Really well done. Yeah. Good design on those.
0: Yeah. They look real good. But well, yeah, who is that character
1: actress? I, I don't know, I've but seen I've her seen t- her in tons <laughs> of stuff. Yeah, she's good. I wanted to toss a question to you. Okay. So there's a scene, it's that after that Jack and Coke scene that I talked about earlier, as she's leaving, which is my favorite scene in the movie, I think. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, As she's leaving... Gus is coming up the stairs with a Pizza Hut box, and she's like, hi, Gus. Hi, Gus. And I was wondering, I know it's just product placement, but what if there was, like, some sort of tie-in with Pizza Hut, with, like, the basic instinct Pizza Hut deal? <laughs> what do you imagine that would be and uh, how that would work out? Pizza slicers shaped like ice picks. Uh-huh. <laughs> would your delivery driver show up in a, in a white turtleneck dress
0: <laughs> with, like, uh a blonde wig. <laughs> I might order more pizza. Hut pizzas, if that were the case. <laughs> they give you Coke with every pizza. Oh
1: yeah, there you go. <laughs> I also thought there could have been a tie-in with Kmart. Every time they mentioned Kmart in the ice picks, like the Basic Instinct ice pick special, you know, like
0: dollar <laughs> sixty-seven or whatever it was. It's a very enjoyable movie. I oh I I mean all right so I all this season I'll be doing erotic thrillers and it's one of those things that it might be a punishment for you because (laughs) this is a genre like a lot of horror movies where it really doesn't have to be that good for me to enjoy it Mm -hmm. in fact it could probably be pretty bad and I'll enjoy it
1: Mm. oh so we're starting with the best one
0: (laughs) we're starting with a classic Mm. because I knew we'd be able to talk about it
1: it's quintessential like when i when i think of erotic thrillers i think of this movie
0: it really is uh I, I definitely wanted to pick something sexy and violent and i didn't quite remember how sexy and how violent this got and then in that opening scene i'm like yeah <laughs> it's got it all it's really um i think it's a solid movie capital e entertaining
1: yes it, it's it got that factor and i enjoyed it <laughs> Paul Verhoeven in the 90s is kind of untouchable,
0: except for showgirls. Because I think Starship Troopers. Oh, I love Starship Troopers. Do you love it? I do. Or do you just appreciate what it's trying to do? I think it does what it tries to do. Or are you blinded by Casper Van Dien's beauty? <laughs> I mean, can it be all three? <laughs> I mean, I, I like Starship. Tro- I like Starship Troopers, but I kind of feel like he made the subtext text, and then I, I just feel like I'm being hit over the face with a hammer mm. for a large portion of that movie.
1: You might be too smart for it then. <laughs> this didn't make it on the podcast, but I mentioned this when we were talking about Elle at the Midnight Madness thing, and I said, you know, I blame Starship Troopers for the modern neo-Nazi movement because oh. I think that some some people watch this and were like, finally, a movie about us that we've been meeting. And it's yeah. like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he's, he's saying you're the bad
0: guys. <laughs> this is our first Verhoeven, right? Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's more to come. There's definitely more to come. <sighs> well, Ryan... Your pick is next week. I struggled a lot to pick what I'm to
1: know what I'm going to pick. And I, I kind of decided to look at the past and my past two choices have been real stinkers movie wise. Um, Midnight Madness and rock and roll. Yeah. So I've decided to go veer into strictly safe territory. I'm pulling a Grand Budapest and just watching a movie that I want to watch that I know is good. And I want to do Election. Oh, okay. The uh, 1990 Alexander Payne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a solid movie. I've visited that well many times. Really hmm. love it. I haven't uh, watched it in a while, and I've had a urge to watch it, and I think it'll be fun to talk about.
0: I only saw it for the first time maybe three or four years ago.
1: Okay, okay, okay. I
0: don't know. We might disagree, because I don't think Alexander Payne is the most cinematic of directors. Ooh,
1: girl. <laughs> This will be fun.
0: (laughs) But I'm eager to revisit it, so.
1: There's lots of things I feel are
0: perennially great about it. Okay. Should we plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Yeah. Follow us on Twitter, at X-Rated Movies. We tweet about every now and again.
1: You can see pictures of us once in a while.
0: Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, we've got
1: some good stuff there. We've also got a Facebook account where you can follow us as well. And that's where you can find out what's coming up and talk to us uh directly and that is
0: rated x movies go to our new website xratedmovies.com literally everything about us is there Mm -hmm. including the most accurate biography you'll ever read on either of us social security numbers (laughs) uh bank accounts and routing numbers just any personal data you wanted to know. Birth dates, mother's maiden name, name of first pets, street we grew up on. We use it because we're always forgetting our passwords, which are also up there. Don't bother contacting Cambridge Analytica. We've already just
1: posted it. It's a time saver.
0: In, in the spirit of, of this new sort of wallless economy, no barriers. We're just putting all of our information out in the
1: mm-hmm. open. Yeah yeah. Don't spend all my money in one place
0: we also have an email if you want to email us it's
1: x.rated.movies at gmail.com and we love hearing from you however you want to talk to us
0: and more importantly than anything more important than spending our hard earned money rate review and subscribe google play, apple podcast stitcher. stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts just leave us love hashtag leave us love <laughs> I like that Next week, we're doing election. We'll see you then.
1: Bye. Bye Bye-bye.